Hi, I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. Hello and welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. My name is Daniel. I'm here with Pastor Troy. And I'm here with, um, not Josh, I'm here with Haley Woods. Welcome to our podcast. Haley, have you been on the podcast before? Yeah, multiple times. Multiple. So this Mm -hmm. is not the first time. We were over there, though. Yep. Ah, yeah. yeah. This is the first time in our new setup. In our new setup. Yeah. So cool. It's exciting. Exciting yeah. for you, really. You yeah. uh, you would be able to see our new setup if you watch us on Facebook on, on, Facebook. on Tuesdays yeah. at noon. You have to like yeah. First Baptist Church of Jackson, Missouri. Yes. You have to go to our Facebook page, like us, and then watch us. Yeah. It's yeah. the one with the yeah. black circle with the red ring around it and the cross. You'll find us. You'll find it us. It's there. You'll, yeah. You kind of get a big it. picture it's of Troy. Lots of, yeah, <laughs> lots of us. Lots of us on there. Yeah. So, so... so <laughs> Uh, and this week's reading, it was uh, amazing because we are going from Second Samuel to First Kings, which means we're closing out the end of King David's life and beginning the reign of King Solomon, which is always exciting. The Psalms were good. Uh, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. There's really uh, potent Psalms and uh, also lots of wisdom from Proverbs uh, to, to pull from. Uh, though uh, probably none of us actually pulled any wisdom from Proverbs just to Ooh. talk about today. <laughs> but it's still good. <laughs> I, I don't want to condition. discourage you from reading it because it really is solid. Um, and then in the Gospel of John, how can you go wrong with the Gospel of John and Jesus going through some I ams uh, and, uh, and it just, um, yeah, powerful, powerful stuff. I would say the Pharisees went wrong in the Gospel of John, maybe. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah they, they took a dark Especially path. this week. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They did not go the way that uh, got, uh, that they should have gone. Uh, and and this was, a, and we'll talk more about it, but the um, Jesus' sayings are somewhat confusing. Mm. And I don't know, when you're reading this section, it's kind of like the people were confused, and you can be confused by reading what Jesus is saying uh, it's not like the synoptic gospels where everything is just like a nice story. Um, here Jesus is like saying things that are like, and it's like, and everybody's like, this is hard to understand. And I don't know if I want to keep following you. And I think that's what John's trying to communicate is, is Jesus. It wasn't easy when you were actually here listening to him because they just wanted him to say plainly, I'm the Messiah. <laughs> Here's some miracles. Look, watch what I do. And so forth while he's doing miracles, you weren't there necessarily to see it, but that's kind of the point is that, uh, you know, we always think if people, God would just do the sign. When we look back at the Bible and see these signs that God does, uh, it's hard to remember. Uh, not everybody was there and saw the sign and it was in one moment in time. And so a lot of people didn't get to see it. And so we are in the same boat as many people were, uh, even though they were there in the time of Jesus they still didn't witness or uh, the things that he actually did, so they had to believe in faith. Even his disciples uh, mm. struggled. So, so anyway, it is uh, it's a faith thing. But we'll talk more about it and uh, and share what we all gleaned from the reading of God's word. When we come back. All right, we are back, and we're going to talk about what uh, we read devotionally from this week's reading. And since Haley is, well, not totally new, you've been here before, but since since you're the guest, why don't we throw you under the, I mean, why don't you go first? Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, So my first devotional was in 2 Samuel 24.10. We see David's heart being convicted. Um, Even as he's a man after God's own heart, he still was able to recognize his sin, um, and he felt the weight of it. Um, and then going on to verse 14 after that in the same chapter, um, he says, do not let me fall into the hands of man, um, meaning that whenever man were to judge him, it would be a lot more harsher um, than if God were to, um, because God is just so much more just and merciful and gracious um, than man. And we don't have to question God's judgment because we know that 
he's righteous. Um, of course, as long as we're believing that he's righteous, we know that we don't have to question him. Um, and it also reminded me of, I started reading Reflection on the Psalms. And, um, yeah, and in the first chapter, it's talking about in the Psalms how um, people would ask for judgment, but it's because they thought that they were right in the eyes of God. Mm. Um, and so it reminded me of that. Um, but in this case, we just have to remind ourselves, like, David, he didn't even think that he was right in the sight of God. Like, he just wanted God's judgment because he knew that it would be just. And so I think we can find comfort in that, knowing that um, we don't have to question God's judgment, and it's going to come anyways. So. Mm. <laughs> We're not often presented with that choice from God, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, I wish we kind of, I kind of wish we were, because sometimes I just look at somebody's actions and think, oh, well, they're they're just wrong. They're just an idiot. Or And I maybe just attribute it to them, or maybe on my best days, I think, I wonder what God's doing through them being an idiot, mm-hmm. and rarely look at myself and like, mm-hmm. what did I do to bring this upon my own life? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's neat that David... Uh, when given the choice of what punishment do you want, he he does recognize that um, God is always, I mean, whatever God chooses is, is the best. Mm-hmm. Instead of thinking God, instead of the thinking that we sometimes naturally have is that, oh, God's going to punish me much worse than I would punish myself. Uh, the reality is that God is more gracious mm-hmm. than we are uh, to us and to anyone. Uh, we tend to think of, it's kind of like a a righteous and a loving parent. A child always seems to think that the parent is going to do something for their harm um, when there's really no evidence to that. It's it's really the evidence is that they actually are being much better to you than than you deserve or than we deserve. But uh, not that I'm thinking of my own children when I say things like that. But uh, <laughs> oh, I am. You, you ungrateful <laughs> children. Um, but yeah, I, because I, I I do have a tendency to think God is gonna uh, that I I think we want to hide from Him, and I think that's the part of the deception that Satan draws us into is that uh, when we've sinned, that now God hates us and wants to kill us, and so uh, so we need to hide from Him in order to keep from being killed by God, who really wants to hurt us, and mm. and it's like. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. In fact, all the evidence is to the contrary. He gave sacrificed his son knowing the sin we were going to commit so that he could mm-hmm. make us right with him. He's trying to find a way to give us the least amount of pain and difficulty uh, that we could have, trying to lessen the consequences of our actions. Um, and, uh, and, so, and David gets that. He, he gets that and pleads for that constantly um, and believes that God will always be gracious to him. I think Saul was exactly the opposite, you know, in so many ways. But Saul really believed that God wanted evil for him. And so he always sought another means of help besides God. And uh, and David shows what it really means to be a man who goes on heart. So, good stuff. Cool. Yeah. I also was in Second Samuel, uh, and uh, it's 23, uh, it said, and David said with longing, oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, uh, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who, uh, who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. I, I love the three mighty men, for, mm. first of all. And I, I think it's cool how how the Bible points out, here are the three mighty men. Like, that's a title. Like, they have badges. You know, kind of like, <laughs> we got jackets. We're the three mighty men. Like a West Side and, Story in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so they each had different things that they did to make them the three mighty men. And then there's another three, but they're not of the first three. They didn't make that first three mighty varsity men. of mighty yeah. men <laughs> exactly uh, and so and then you have 30 after that of 30 guys who weren't like the three like the like the second three or the first three but these are the three the big three and and they really weren't uh the names that come up a lot but they come up in this moment because they do this incredibly valiant act uh for david and uh and you know what I, this is one of those things i struggle with uh, because I would read this and think, I, you know, did it take off those three mighty yeah, men? It's like, we went all the way and got that water, <laughs> and then you pour it on the ground. It's like, what the blah, man? You said you wanted the water. Yeah. We went and got it, risked our lives, and now you pour it out. What's going on with this? And and this was the – and it's actually in this week's reading, um, which is next week for 
anyway, <laughs> if you're confused on the podcast, uh, the, the reading we're talking about last week's reading, this coming week uh, is in the reading is where Mary takes the, the alabaster and pours it out on the feet of, 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 of Jesus and uh, this oil of spike nerd or whatever version you're reading. But, uh, and Judas gets upset because he's like, this could have been sold. Because here's, I mean, when she pours this perfume out on Jesus' feet, it was it was what what a person would normally it was just like a year's wages uh, that they would save for this and it was something you would purchase basically like buying your own funeral plan uh, and you'd purchase it so that when you died uh, your family would be able to use this to anoint your body after you had died and so she had this and she just I won't say recklessly but selflessly just. Uh, cracked it open and poured it out on the feet of Jesus, anointing him for his burial is what Jesus said. But Judas was upset and he said, you wasted this. You know, it's like you poured this out and it's wasted. This could have been sold and the money could have been kept to take care of the poor. And then John goes on to say, oh, well, but he was also the treasurer and he didn't really care about the poor. He was wanting that money to go into the treasurer's box because he was a thief and he stole the money all. You know, John didn't have a lot of high praise for Judas. Uh, as, you know, so uh, anyway, but the uh, but here, but this is what came in my mind. I thought, you know, there's so often that's how we reflect on worship. We, we reflect on we, when we think of worship, we think of what I get out of it. And what it means to me. And sometimes it was like kind of like uh, when Macau was watching David dance in the street and so forth, and she was upset with his uh, with his you know scandalous dancing that he was doing out in the streets and so forth. But that's because she was thinking about her and how this reflected upon her. And so often that's how we think about worship. We see people pouring things out, and we get upset or why do you do this? And what you know when we think about drums in the sanctuary. <laughs> people raising their hands or, you know, carrying on this behavior and so forth. And we're thinking, this makes us look bad or this reflects poorly upon us. And we have the heart of Judas, really. We have the heart of people who are just simply pouring themselves out before the God and just, just looks like it's being wasteful. It looks like it's being uh, something that uh, is humiliating. Um, but in, in fact, it's just them saying, I just want to give this to the Lord. And and I th I think the mighty men that doesn't say how they reacted, but I think if they had the heart of God, I think they would have recognized this is this is appropriate. This is actually absolutely what should be happening. David is doing the appropriate thing. He is showing it is it is the Lord who is who is worthy. Of this that David is saying, if I drink this, I'm saying I am the one worthy of their worship. But I, but he recognizes that what they did was so great that only God is deserving of the act of willing to give their lives. That David is not worth the lives of these men, but God is. And so he's basically saying, God, the drink is for you, and not for me. And I think that's what uh, Mary was doing with the with the. She was saying, I saved a year for this for me, but I'm I'm not worthy of the sacrifice even I made. But Jesus is worthy of it, and so she gave it to Jesus. And I think those who are in tune with the Holy Spirit recognize that God, whatever it is that uh, that brings me to ruin, only that God is worthy of that. And then when people give us praise or whatever, recognize we're not. I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worried of, of whatever it is you're offering me. But God is. Oswald Chambers even says, you know, that we have to be careful that when people give us something and 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 bless us in in great ways to not fall into the mindset of, I deserve this, but to always hold it in an open hand and say, you know, I, I don't know that I should keep this because mm -hmm. I'm not worthy of this blessing. And to just simply pass the blessing on to wherever, even if we just waste it uh, for the glory of God, uh, it's better than us receiving the worship for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We, as a it reminded me as a worship team after we started doing this thing after every worship set. Um, you know, for those of you who have served on a worship team ever or been on stage at church or any any capacity, um, when any time that people clap after anything that you do, even if it's supposed to be directed to God, mm. there is there's some sense of ownership in that. Yeah. Like I had something to do with that. And in one hand, yeah, we really want to. Um, 
to be a, a vessel that God uses to bless people. We do mm-hmm. want to be part of it, but we started doing this time after the worship time where we go to the back after every set, um, and we, we just pray and offer offer it all to God and, and just humble ourselves afterwards because that if we don't do that, there's just a just a const that's just a constant knocking at our pride and, and a a feeding of flesh that is available to us at all times. Right. Um, so we take the opportunity um, just to continue in worship of God because it shouldn't stop stop when the songs end, mm. right? Um, right? And poor, and David, man, he's just I think I love what you said. He's just the king of inappropriate responses <laughs> based on what people are looking at around him. Because I was reading that passage too and thinking those poor mighty guys there they did all this and and david just so often just seems like he's given the wrong response Mm. based on just our normal fleshly minds Um, but god's looking at things david is doing and being like yes that do that yeah and then jesus comes along and he he basically does the same thing yes do that the thing that is completely opposite to what everyone around you is thinking even the religious folk like that honors me yeah we were so practical in our thinking and God is so impractical in his giving. I mean, he blesses us overflowing. I mean, he does things like, you know, somebody said, there are so many rainbows that people never see. Mm. And and God just, he does beautiful things, whether there are eyes to behold it, whether there's somebody there to take a picture of it, whether there's somebody there to capture the moment or whatever. He just, he just likes, he overflows with, uh, with goodness. And, and, and so when we worship him, he kind of expects that we'll just pour out uh, everything uh, to him without, uh, without holding back or being, or thinking practically. Uh, how, how is this, how could this be used? And, and I know that when people give, it's like, I want to make sure that my gift is going to go and it's going to be used for this and this and this and this and this. And it's like, uh, sometimes God just likes us just to give mm. everything we have. There's this quote by uh, G. I can never say his name in the first try. G. K. Chesterton. Chesterton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, man. Always oh, I can never get it. Um, but he he has this quote that I love. It says, "Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things to be repeated and un- unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. Mm-hmm. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in moto- monotony." But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It's possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite for infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Wow. Oh, man. So jealous of people like him. Why can't we say things that way? Yeah, I wish yeah. he had a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I too was in Second Samuel. Um and um just in and and I think I somebody it may have been Troy last year, but somebody talked about this last season. Um, but just the story of how Absalom is, you know, he's coming after David, and David's on the run again. Which mm. Seems to be his normal mode of operation. But um, he gets his hair gets stuck in a stinking tree, like a moron. <laughs> like this great warrior is riding on a donkey and gets his hair stuck in a tree, um, and he's just hanging there, just hanging out. And um, of course, it doesn't say the the name of the servant, but Joab, the general's servant. Um, notices him and goes and tells Joab, and Joab says, hey, man, um, you should have killed him. And then ultimately David finds out, and David is grieved, and Joab gets on David for being upset that his greatest enemy, even though it's his son, his greatest enemy is dead, and David's mourning this. So um, great story. Go back and check it out. It's 18 and 19. I won't read it all, but um, I just noticed the difference between Joab's heart and David's heart, and we talk a lot about David's heart. And David's heart isn't perfect, in all things, you know, that's the thing about David is that he, uh, and, and every Bible character, nobody except for Jesus has perfect motives and perfect uh, reactions, but we're generally led to believe that David is probably a little in the right here. Um, but Joab's reaction is understandable too. Like, this is Joab's job, right? He's the general, he's supposed to slay David's armies or David's enemies. Um, and David's response, I mean, Joab had a point too later when he said, David, you are discouraging your men. You need to, you know, you know, suck it up and be an encouragement to your men. And he, he was, so David did it. David followed his advice. Um, and I just wrote down that neither was totally 
right all the time. Right. And um, but they, but they did what they knew what what they knew to do in the moment. Um, and I just put that sometimes passion clouds our ability to see our act clearly. Um, but praise God that his sovereign power accounts for our weaknesses and carries his plans forward in spite of us. Joab wasn't totally right. He, you know, he disobeyed a direct order from David. He had no heart and compassion towards um, Absalom. And David, David's emotional response caused his entire army to um, feel ashamed for winning the battle that God had given to them. Mm. Um, but God used both men's weaknesses in con- concert to accomplish like the best scenario. Um, both men learned, um, and the the nation of Israel carried forward as God wanted it to. And I, I just praise Him that He is that in my weaknesses, when I objectively a lot of times have less good motives than David, but He uses my weakness to further His goals, and I just rely on that mm. entirely every day. So that's all I had there. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. I wish I, I'm trying to think of something profound to say in response, and I'm, I'm, I'll miss. I'm, hey, stump I'm the with, pastor I'm without, <laughs> I'm without comment. <laughs> All right, Haley, what are you, what are you, what's your next one? You got something? Um, Proverbs 17.3. Um, it says, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so silver has a place to be refined. Gold has a place to be refined, and so do our hearts. Um, and that's in the presence of God. Um, and it also brought me back to Psalm 51:10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of just like that's what God is in the business of doing is examining our hearts and making us more like him. Um, and so we go through like silver goes through the fire, gold goes through the fire. Um, and so do our hearts in the presence of God, but it's all for his glory. Um, and so in the presence of God, as in like whenever we get into the word and never, whenever we're in prayer, um, that's where our hearts are being refined. Um, and so it just reminded me too that like in my own life, when I see like it would make sense why, um, I would be neglecting spending time in the word or something. Um, because ultimately it is avoiding having your heart refined. Um, and sometimes that hurts in the presence of God, especially when you're dealing with sin or not wanting to deal with sin. Um, and so, yeah, just knowing that like God is the only one who's going to refine your heart. Um, that's the only presence where it can happen, mm-hmm. but um, it's ultimately for His glory. Someone needs to write a song about like refiner's fire. Ah, yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> that would be cool. We should do that. Yeah, we should do that. Work on that. You and me. Yeah. Collab. Let's collab. Call, collab. All we'll three of us. G.K. Chesterton. Let's see if he's. <laughs> Let's see if he's free. <laughs> <laughs> he's done something. Yeah. Is uh, he still alive? Yeah. I, was th- I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> I, I'm not. I can't. I, I'm we'll let you know after the yeah, break. Let's, there you go. Um, the uh, you know the, the refining process. I, I remember there was a guy I had in my church who worked at a place where they did brass and so forth, and, and the smelting process mm. and so forth was always amazing to me. And and how hot you would get gold and silver and so forth to burn the dross off and and so forth and and to purify. And and so that picture of of God. You know, basically setting our heart on fire to burn all the stuff off, and 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 that's what it takes. Uh, and it doesn't sound like a non-painful experience. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're nearly dead, and then it, and it and it puts it back together because it has to be. I mean, it, you you melt it basically, and then burn it, get it to this incredible heat where you burn it off, and then and then when it, it reforms, and mm-hmm. and it's that reforming of our hearts and our minds that really gives us a picture of what God is trying to do for each of us. But we fall in love with the way our hearts already are. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I've, I'm, this is who I am. I hear people say that all the time. It's just, this is just who I am. It's like, yeah, I know. (laughs) So does God. That's why he's got to stick you in the furnace and burn (laughs) you down to reduce you to nothing. And then, and then he remolds you. Uh, and Jesus uses words like that, like born again. You have to be, you have to start over. You have to be a new man. You know, there's the old man, and then there's a the new man. And and uh, it's, but it's so we, like I said, we fall in love with who we are, and don't want to let that go. And Jesus tells us, if you love that person that much, then you're going to end up losing your life, mm-hmm. and because you have to let that person go in order to become who it is that I want you to be. Uh, and that. 
I used to think that was when we got saved that that happened, but it's many times a slow burn. Mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a long time for us to um, to be, and and it, I think it happens in different areas of our life. I think He points out things and saying this. I haven't redeemed this or refined this portion of your life, and you need to turn it over to me. So, so, but it's not easy, no matter how you how you go about that. Um, very good. And I didn't think there was going to be anything in Proverbs that we were going to use this week. So <laughs> Here we are. Um, I'm I'm going to choose something. If I do my second Samuel thing, I'm going to save it for because it was my third thing that I was going to do today. But the um, I'll save it for the question time if we have time. Because I wanted to look at something Jesus said in John chapter 7, verses 35 through 39. He said, Then the Jews said among themselves, Who does he intend to go? Where where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Mm-hmm. And and we talked at the beginning of the podcast about how there's so many things in the Gospel of John where the people are just confused, you know, where Jesus talks about them eating his flesh and and if you don't eat my flesh, you can have no part of me. And people are like, what? Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of bad, <laughs> uh, you know. And so uh, you get all these sayings that are kind of confusing, and and people are like, just you hear this, they'll say, just tell us, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we're looking for? And then Jesus' response is, well, <laughs> <And then> moving <laughs> on with something else. And and then but here in this passage we see that he says. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to make all these things clear to us. I could, if if I tell you point blank exactly the truth, you don't have the capability to understand the truth that I'm going to give you. If I just speak it right plainly before you and just spell it out, your mind, because it's warped and deceived and fallen, you're going to interpret it in a way that's going to lead you astray and it's going to be twisted and contorted and it's going to take you in a place that's that's not going to be helpful. It's so it's like he's 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 giving things out, but he knows the but he knows the fallen mind. He knows how people will take the words he's going to say. Uh, Jesus, if he were here today, he would always know what to tweet. <laughs> you know how you, you you always or what to text because you know when we get ready to put words down, we're like we're completely oblivious to how people are going to receive those words and how they're going to hear those words. But Jesus, the master communicator. Uh, when he would say the words, he knew exactly how the person hearing those words would interpret the things he was saying. And so he was always saying exactly what needed to be said to get the response from that person that he needed to get. Mm-hmm. And and so, but but for us, we have this blessing. And he, and he offers it to everyone. I, I don't think it's like, a, I think it is a, a call that goes out to all. But to those who want it, who want to know, who want to understand, we first must receive the Holy Spirit, and when we receive the Holy Spirit, now we are given eyes to see, now we are given ears to hear, and to be able to understand the things that he's saying. When, we, when we're when we reading through these passages, I think the, the, um, the part that we always need to remember and give God glory for, the only reason we're getting anything out of it is because of this relationship we have with the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and him ministering to us. That's why it's different every time, not because the words have changed or because the message has changed, but we've been changed. As we are obedient to him and learn to walk with the Holy Spirit, he gives us a greater understanding for things that we've read a thousand times before. But now, now we can receive it because we have more of his spirit than we had previously. Yeah, it's interesting how we, even with the Holy Spirit, tend to like parabolize Jesus's clearer words and say, okay, he said this clearly. So he probably meant this other thing. Um, but yet with the, whole, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can take his parables and find clarity in those. Right. Uh, so it's like, yeah, exactly. Like he knew our limitations and was like, he's, all right, here you he's go. He's still communicating to yeah. us, mm-hmm. giving the words that we need. This is, I mean, this is the mind-boggling thing about Christ, well, about God, and he is mind-boggling, is the fact that he was saying things knowing that 2,000 years later that we would be reading it and he would, and he said it in a way and had it recorded, had the disciples, the apostles, record it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit 
with the exact wording that would give us the impression that we want. And I, I know people get caught up in different translations of Scripture, but here's what I believe about God. I think that that he has you reading the ESV on a particular day at a particular time mm-hmm. to give you a message that he wants to give you using the word, the solidity of the message that he had within it. Because we don't have the original autographs, you know, so we don't have, I'm not, we're all, we all don't know Greek or whatever. Anyway, but, uh, but, we're, but you're still getting the message God wants to you through him using that inspired work to uh, be communicated to us in English uh, today. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that I, I've always kind of wanted to study is and know more about is like how, you know, like maybe God didn't create English as it is currently at the Tower of Babel, right? <laughs> but he still guided people to, you know, languages are his mm-hmm. his creation at the root, and then he can, he guides history, right? So um, the fact that we have the Septuagint and that Jesus quotes the Septuagint in that like takes the Greek of the original Hebrew mm-hmm. and assigns new meaning because of the way that the Greek is read makes me wonder if like the translation of the Bible into the languages of the nations like further serves to flesh out what God meant, you know, like the Mm -hmm. English translation, a good English translation will, will help you understand more than if you just spoke original Hebrew. Hmm. I wonder that. I don't know that. I just, I'm curious. Yeah. That's a good question. Given Jesus' treatment of the Septuagint. Well, and I I think that, uh, you know the. I mean, think of it even beyond that. Think of it, somebody, who, a deaf person who can only get yeah. it through sign, and yeah. and uh, or in person, or blind person who's reading it in braille, and and and, and so it's been transferred. When we take the Bible. A good example is because we do this. Uh, we go to a a culture we've never been into before, a tribe that we've never that's never we've never given that has no copy of the Word of God, so it has to be translated into a language that they can understand. And so translators are taking passages and trying to find phrases or words and so forth that communicate what we know this word to say into the language that they speak. And uh, and you, you're trusting that, that the Holy Spirit is guiding that process. Not to say that what they are doing is not subject to error because they are fallen and we're not believing in a newly inspired word, but that God is still guiding the process to give them the word the original, the, the infallible and errant word, and to use people to communicate that to them, mm. uh, that message to them, and and giving them the words to say, and that, uh, and of course, he's using that process to, uh, so that they can understand it in a way that is fruitful uh, for them, and and for them to accomplish what it is that he has them there to do. All of this, I mean, all, this is the way I always do it backwards. I, I always go to Revelation and think we're all going to be there together, surrounding the throne, giving him praise. You go backwards from that. That means that whatever he's doing in those circumstances, that he's doing it in such a way that when we all get there with him, we will go, that is absolutely amazing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that you did it in the way that, you know, that you accomplished this and you know, and we had no idea we were doing this. Yeah. You know, we were we were just thinking we were just translating a Bible into this, and you were giving us these specific words to accomplish a specific purpose mm. from the specific time to accomplish these specific things. You know, things that are incomprehensible. For I us. feel like that's got to be what we're going to be doing for a majority of eternity. <laughs> just, is just like going, comparing notes. Going, oh my goodness, what? what? You mean that he did that? Yeah, that's crazy. Well, that means that you know, it's all these. <laughs> this fits with this. This, this whole fan this, club. This with this. You know, yeah. yeah, and then there'll be some guy there. They'll go, oh, oh, wait, let me oh, add oh, this. Oh, oh. Let me throw this in. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. That'll take us a few thousand years. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Cool. All right. I guess I'm finishing this up here. Um, Psalm 68, 16 says, um, Why gaze with envy, you mountain peaks, at the mountain God desired for his dwelling? The Lord will live there forever. Why are we talking about mountains, David, <laughs> or whoever you are? Uh, David, yes. Why are we talking about mountains? You inappropriate worship reactor person. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, so, I, so I chewed on that for a while, and I don't know if I've totally fleshed it out. But um, talking, asking mountains why they're gazing with envy on the one mountain that God chose to put His glory on forever, and it's almost talking about like the futility. Of, I, I just put, don't envy the glory of the Lord to claim it as your own. What is God's will forever? will be his. Um, The Lord sets up and tears down mountains, seas, and all glorious things. He sets up and tears down people too. So um, when he sets us up, 
we must be careful to not reach with envy for the sovereignty or glory that is his alone. So I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm thinking about the way David phrases like why uh, why gaze with envy on the mountain that God chose to be his dwelling when he's set you up to be a mountain of your own, Mm. you know, like Satan wants us, you know, that's Satan's game from the beginning, right? Can't you be like the most high? Like, don't you want to be like God? God's trying to keep that from you, Eve. Like, that's not what, that's not uh, what God wants for you. And, And the fact is God doesn't want you to be him. He wants you to be you. And God has assigned you a specific task. You're a mountain peak. Be a mountain peak. Don't try to be God's mountain peak, you know? Uh, and, and I think we do that in every aspect of our lives, at least I do, about, um, you know, I, I try to make my plans, I force my plans to be a certain way, and I force my, um, you know, I try to force my, my people to act a certain way, I, you know, um, whereas God's like, this is where I've got you, and this is where I've got them. Be that. Do that. And let, stop taking what's mine. Because that's not going to go well for you. Mountains don't take other mountain peaks. Right. I don't, know. I don't know if I'm interpreting that right, but that's where my mind went. I think that, you know, I was thinking about this in the Psalms, even in this week's reading, how, um, because I was I was reading something, and I was reading commentaries on it, and they were like, none of this really makes any sense, and <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't fit. And they said, here's this theory, here's this theory, here's this theory. And, and it kind of made me walk away from the Psalms going, you know, sometimes I think when we sit down and read the Psalms, uh, I think they're. I think it's kind of like songs we listen to today. I think they speak to us where we are, mm-hmm. and and so the things that come to mind, it's it's meant to bring a lot of different things. It's it's a little bit different than other aspects of the Bible, because like when you sit down and read the Psalm and these images are coming to your head and these things, I think that's the point of artistic writing, is that it does create images and and thought processes when we meditate upon it. Uh, that that's going to be in harmony with the other things we. I don't think we're giving new words to it or interpreting it in such a way yeah. that's contradicted what God says. But um, but it does it gives because I I see things and it's like I can I think that um, they're written the Psalms are written by David and others who are really pouring out the heart of the human experience. And so because we are humans and we do have those experiences, it resonates mm-hmm. with us. As oh wow this is this is how this is fits in in my world where I am right now and I think a a twelve year old me and a thirty year old me and a fifty year old me all got different things mm-hmm. at different times mm-hmm. reading the exact same thing yeah but uh, and I I think it was I think it's that's by design you know kind of what we were talking about earlier I don't think you do that with the historical narratives right 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 you know but I but I think the Psalms I think we do have license it's more art them. yeah I think yeah. so yeah as well as music cool all right. Awesome, guys. Well, we will be back answer some questions that you've all been wondering in this week's reading when we come back. Here we go. We have like three really good questions. Yeah, solid. at least. So yeah. let's we'll get probably into eliminate my discussion, but we'll cover that another time. Okay. Yeah. So, we'll yeah. mark it down because we'll, we'll it forget. Down. I'll forget. Yeah. Um, we had one person on our live Facebook um, stream. We stream on Facebook, and yeah. they asked on the stream um, a question that was really good, and it was, um, so what's the difference between loving God, fearing God, and how do we do both? Ooh. Can we do both? Yeah. And we've talked about that. We back it was a week or so or two weeks ago. Uh, we were talking about um, – I was sharing how, in my own mind, I will differentiate fear and being afraid just by using those two different terms, hmm. that I am afraid of God when I have something to hide or I'm trying to run from him or whatever. But fearing God denotes this reverence or understanding that he is greater than I am, that he does hold my life in my hands. Uh, it is a reverent fear is this way that uh, we sometimes will say it, um, very much like when you have a love for your father uh, and mother, yet you have a reverent fear for them, you honor them and the role that they're in, and you and you respect that they, uh, you know, especially when you're a child and under their care, that they hold your life in their hands, and and so you respect that and honor that. You're not afraid of them, like afraid they're going to strike you or afraid they're going to uh, hurt you um, purposefully, but that um, or 
with evil intent, I guess I should say. And, and, and let me just clarify that. That I'm not talking about even necessarily discipline. I'm talking about there are times when I took my children to hospital and they had to get shot or they had to have stitches. Well, I put them in, that is a painful experience. I put them in harm's way, but it was for their good. It was for their well-being and something I knew and understand, but they didn't know that and understand that. And so we, when we fear God, we recognize that he is... We can still recognize that he is doing things for our own good, yet we have a reverent fear for him. And loving him is uh, when we obey him and do what he would have us to do, recognizing that he deserves that reverent fear. Uh, being afraid sometimes, and this was the difference between Saul and David that we were talking about earlier. Saul was disobedient to God and afraid of him. David feared God and was obedient to him and obedience and love are synonymous in in scripture when we when we love someone we it's not that I feel warm fuzzies toward them it's that I am being obedient uh, to them I'm submitting to them and and being obedient uh, to them that's that's an act of love is when I I denounce myself in order to do what is best for you uh, according to what you need mm. yeah cool good answer yeah, Jesus says, uh, "If you love me, you will keep. Uh, the, if you love me, you will keep my commands." You know, and uh, and so that's obedience equals love. So, and fearing Him goes hand in hand with that because I reverently understand that He holds my life in His hands, and so I do what He would have me to do. So, really, the two are inseparable. Mm. So, cool, cool, cool. Uh, Haley, you brought a few, yes. couple. Um, yeah, in John eight twenty two. Why do the Pharisees accuse Jesus of, or I guess, wonder if Jesus is going to kill himself? He's going to kill himself. Yeah. Um, well, here's what it says. It says, then he said to them again, I'm going away. You will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said again, he won't kill himself, will he? Since he says where I'm going, you, not come, you cannot come. And uh, and then they go back and forth in this discourse. And, and here's what's happening. They're... they're uh, they're hearing the things that Jesus is saying. It's kind of like when Nicodemus is talking to Jesus, and Jesus says, do you have to be born again? And Nicodemus is like, so you're saying I have to get back into my mother's mm-hmm. womb? And and a lot of times we have the advantage. One, we have the Holy Spirit when we're reading the Word of God, so we have a little bit of understanding. But we also have the advantage that we've talked about these things a thousand times, mm-hmm. and you've gone through them in Sunday school. So you hear things he's saying through the lens of everything else you know about Jesus and everything uh, you understand about him. But if you're hearing him taking his words at face value in a conversation that you're having in the moment and you've never, and you don't know anything else about, else about him, mm-hmm. they're questioning. It's confusing to them because they're thinking in two different ways. Uh, they're thinking when he's saying these things that I'm going to leave you and where I go, you cannot come. One of their possible explanations for that is he's talking about going to the afterlife. And so he's, they're saying, so is he going to kill himself to get there? Uh, and and just throwing these questions out, John is just illustrating their lack of ability to discern what it is Jesus is actually saying. Uh, one of the amazing parts about this later is where Caiaphas uh, says that uh, he prophesies, and he says that when they're talking about Jesus and so forth, and there and the problems that he's creating and so forth, and he says something to the, akin to that, it, you know, it is uh, that there is a man who has to be sacrificed uh, for the sins of the nation of Israel. That you know, one man, one man needs to die for for all the nation uh, to be saved. Now, in Caiaphas's mind, Jesus needs to be killed in order to save the nation from retribution against uh, the Rome, by the Roman Empire because they're afraid that what Jesus is doing is going to undermine their position of safety with the Roman Empire. And so they're like, we've got to get rid of him or else we're going to be we're going to lose our status as a country. We're going to lose this political uh, uh, ceasefire basically or this peace that we have with the Roman Empire. And, uh, and so he's going to mess up everything that we've worked so hard to preserve and and so he's like so he makes a statement about how he needs to die well the crazy part is is that he's the high priest this year and and john's saying he's actually prophesying the truth because jesus does need to die in order to save the nation of israel just not in the way that caiaphas understands and and in, in another way in this passage you're talking about it's the same thing it's like he yeah he is talking about that he's going to die and they can't follow him so they're they're hearing they're actually getting it. They're actually kind of 
seeing where he's going with this, but it doesn't make any sense to them because they can't fathom how does how does dying actually accomplish the objective that you're talking about, you know, and uh, you know, and it is hard for us to understand unless we have the revelation that Jesus gives to us that it was through His death that salvation is provided and that the resurrection is real, that he really is going to come back from the dead and provide a resurrection hope for all people. How could you possibly fathom that, you know, when you're having that conversation with him? So anyway, that's, hmm. yeah. Um, and then my second question is in John 9, 31. Um, it says, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Hmm. Um, and the question is, uh, the commentary that I read said that um, God doesn't have any obligation to listen to a sinner's prayer, an, unrepent, an unrepentant sinner. Um, but God is still God, even when we're believers. So why would it be assumed like from that commentary that he has an obligation to even listen to us? Hmm. Well, a couple of things. One is... Uh, always, always pay attention to the context of what you're reading, mm-hmm. and this is this is not Jesus speaking. This is this is this man speaking uh, to the Pharisees about how he understands the situation, and mm-hmm. and John is simply recording the discourse. So it doesn't necessarily mean that what he is speaking is authoritative truth. Mm-hmm. It just means this is how I understand what we understand, and you can see that in the response of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are like. You are a sinner. You are not a person. You're not a Pharisee. Mm-hmm. You're not. You're not someone who's been set apart to study and so forth. You're a man born in sin and so forth, and and yet you're trying to teach us or lecture us and so forth. So it's important to understand. You know, it's kind of like when you're reading Job and you're reading things that Job's friends said mm-hmm. uh, to understand the context that they weren't speaking the truth or, or didn't have a good. Uh, not that everything they said was false. But you're going to have to find somewhere else to agree with what it is that they're saying. Mm. And so that's where the commentaries come from. It's just using the opportunity to say, oh, this is a good time to talk about this. Uh, And it is a good thing to talk about. Does God hear the prayers of a sinner? And I'll hear some people say, absolutely not. And uh, that's that's just a wrong – I mean, just step back for a second. God hears everything. So you just have to, mm-hmm. <laughs> he hears everything, he knows everything. It's not like he's up in heaven with his hands over his ears going, la, 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 you know, when, when sinners are praying, so he won't hear it. Now he hears, he hears everything everybody says. Um, the word tells us that the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And what that means is, is that when we are praying in the Holy Spirit, in obedience to God, that our prayers are effective meaning that we actually are brought into the redemptive process and God hears what we are saying and acts upon the things that we say. That is not true for people who are sinning against God, who are in disobedience. That doesn't mean that he doesn't hear what they're saying. It doesn't mean that he won't do what they are asking for, that he won't give what they're asking Mm -hmm. for. It means that uh, he is is just simply acting upon his own um, will and and what needs to be done and so forth. It's kind of like even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while kind of thing. It's that sometimes we say the thing that needs to be done, and and it just matches what God was Mm -hmm. going to do anyway. That is not what he is saying when he talks about the effective prayer of a righteous person. He's saying that when we have the Holy Spirit in us and we are obedient in God, that we literally are when we are praying that the Holy Spirit is guiding us in the words that we're saying to actually uh, affect the will of God and uh, and move God uh, to uh, to go in a particular direction. He he has empowered us to do that. Uh, I always likened it to when my children were little and um, and they were uh, wanting to do something and uh, and I would say, hey, we're gonna go. Uh, well, I'm just using an example for me. When my granddad would take me out to work in his garden. And four years old, and we'd be on the tractor, and he'd say, hey, you want to drive the tractor? And I'm like, absolutely, I want to drive the tractor. Well, I've got my hands on the wheel. He's showing me the levers to move and so forth. But his hand is always on that wheel. You know, he may take his hand off, but we're going where he wants to go. We're doing what he wants to do. He's just including me in that process just because he loves me and wants me to be a part of it. And that's what God does with his children. He just allows us to be a part of 
his plan. We're we're not doing something that's contradictory to his will. He just brings us in line with his will so that we can obey and experience him and and be a part of that process. Uh, are we are our prayers actually being effective? Well, the word says yes, that the prayers actually are effective, that what I'm asking for, God is actually taking the word that I'm praying and bringing it into uh, effectively accomplish his will. He does not do that with sinners. Uh, and so that's that's the difference. This particular passage is not really necessarily speaking to that, but uh, because what the man is saying is, is this, this is what I understand, our teaching, our understanding. This is how we all understand how God relates. And uh, and so, in fact, he says, uh, he says, uh, they ridicule him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses's disciples. This uh, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man. We don't know where he's from. And he says this amazing thing. You don't know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. And what he's saying is, he's saying this is a this is the teaching we all have had, uh, that God doesn't listen to sinners. Uh, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. And so that just tells us that was the teaching that he was receiving today. And, it, and it's not wrong. It's just, um, uh, but... Um, but I wouldn't draw. It's not meant for us to draw this huge theological point mm-hmm. that God doesn't actually listen to mm-hmm. what sinners say. Yeah. So cool, cool. Good talk, everybody. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, listeners and watchers and everybody. Um, we will be back next week. Yeah, and we've got some really great stuff to cover. Really, yeah, very excited yeah. for next week's content. Yeah. I hope you are too. We'll catch you right here, on understanding Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast. If you would like more information on Understanding Jesus or First Baptist Church of Jackson or would just like to submit a question or comment, then you can call the church office at 573-243-8415 or you can email us at office at fbcj.us. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.